Hey, thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message today, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. If you have your Bibles, open them to Joshua chapter 22. Joshua chapter 22. We're going to read verses 1 through 4 and then skip to verse 9 and read through verse 33. Joshua 22 verses 1 through 4 and 9 through 33. Then Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You've done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, and you have obeyed me in everything I commanded. For a long time now, to this very day, you have not deserted your fellow Israelites, but have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave you. Now that the Lord your God has given them rest, as he promised, return to your homes in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. So the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, left the Israelites at Shiloh in Canaan to return, to return to Gilead, their own land, which they had acquired in accordance with the command of the Lord through Moses. When they came to Gelilath, near the Jordan, in the land of Canaan, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an imposing altar there by the Jordan. And when the Israelites heard that they built the altar on the border of Canaan at Galiloth, near the Jordan on the Israelite side, the whole assembly of Israel gathered at Shiloh to go to war against them. So the Israelites sent Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the priest, to the land of Gilead, to Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. With him they sent ten of the chief men, one from each of the tribes of Israel, each the head of a family division among the Israelite clans. When they went to Gilead, to Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they said to them, The whole assembly of the Lord says, How could you break faith with the God of Israel like this? How could you turn away from the Lord and build yourselves an altar in rebellion against Him now? Was not the sin of Peor enough for us? Up to this very day, We've not cleansed ourselves from that sin, even though a plague fell on the community of the Lord. And now, are you turning away from the Lord? If you rebel against the Lord today, tomorrow he will be angry with the whole community of Israel. If the land you possess is defiled, come over to the Lord's land, where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and share the land with us. But do not rebel against the Lord or against us by building an altar for yourselves, other than the altar of the Lord our God. When Achan, son of Zerah, was unfaithful in regard to the devoted things, did not wrath come on the whole community of Israel? He was not the only one who died for his sin. Then Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh replied to the heads of the clans of Israel, The mighty one, God, the Lord, The mighty one, God, the Lord, he knows and let Israel know. If this has been in rebellion or disobedience to the Lord, do not spare us this day. If we have built our own altar to turn away from the Lord and to offer burnt offerings and grain offerings or to sacrifice fellowship offerings on it, may the Lord himself call us to account. 
No. We did it for fear that someday your descendants might say to ours, what do you have to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? The Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, you Reubenites and Gadites. You have no share in the Lord, so your descendants might cause ours to stop fearing the Lord. That is why we said, let us get ready and build an altar, not for burnt offerings or sacrifices. On the contrary, it is to be a witness between us and you and the generations that follow that we will worship the Lord at His sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, and fellowship offerings. Then in the future, your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no share in the Lord. And we said, if they ever say to us or to our descendants, we will answer, look at the replica of the Lord's altar which our ancestors built, not for burnt offerings or sacrifices, but as a witness between us and you. Far be it from us to rebel against the Lord and turn away from Him today by building an altar for burnt offerings, grain offerings, and sacrifices, other than the altar of the Lord our God that stands before His tabernacle. When Phinehas the priest and the leaders of the community, the heads of the clans of Israel, heard what Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh had to say, they were pleased. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, said to Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, Today we know that the Lord is with us, because you have not been unfaithful to the Lord in this matter. Now you have rescued the Israelites from the Lord's hand. Then Phinehas, son of Eleazar the priest, and the leaders returned to Canaan from their meeting with the Reubenites and Gadites in Gilead and reported to the Israelites. They were glad to hear the report and praise God. And they talked no more about going to war against them to devastate the country where the Reubenites and the Gadites lived. I heard about a cement truck driver who delivered cement in his cement truck uh, in the local area not far from his house. And because he delivered cement in his local area, sometimes he had the privilege of, of coming home for lunch. And his wife often was there, and so he'd get to come home and eat lunch with his wife. On one particular day, he happened to be close to where his home was. He wasn't supposed to be there that day, but he did happen to be there. And so he was going to stop by his house and eat lunch with his wife, when as he drove by his house, he saw this big, beautiful new car sitting in the driveway. And outside the new car, his wife was there, and there was this handsome young man, and she was talking to this man, and it seemed like they were having a good conversation. And then, as they were having this conversation, they began to walk together around the side of their house toward the back of the house. The cement truck driver immediately concluded that his wife was having an affair with this very handsome young man. And that they were going around to the back of the house. And so the, the cement truck driver drove on by without them realizing that he'd driven by. He turned his truck around up the road and he came back down the road until his wife and the handsome young man were to the back of their house. And then he pulled his cement truck into the driveway, backed it in, and pulled the trough of the cement truck down toward an open window in this brand new car in his driveway, and he filled the car up with cement. And after he'd filled the car up with cement, he proceeded to go around to the back of the house where his 
wife and this handsome young man were to confront them over their error. And so he goes around to the back and they're still back there talking and he confronts them and uh, long and short of it is the man was a car salesman from a car dealership. He had brought a brand new limousine, a brand new, not limousine, sedan to their house. This wife had purchased the car to give to her husband for a birthday present. And she'd already paid for it. It was theirs. Cement and all. Have you ever jumped to conclusions about someone? Or have you seen, ever ever been in a place where you saw a circumstance and you jumped to conclusions, premature conclusions about what was going on? Have you ever met someone and just by the way they looked or maybe uh, something else about them, you, you, you drew conclusions about that person without having the benefit of talking with that person for very long. The title of this message is The Problem with Jumping to Conclusions. I would guess we've all done it. I've certainly done it more more times than I care to confess to you. And there have been some times when I jumped to conclusions that didn't turn out to be so good for me. In fact, that's usually the case with jumping to premature conclusions. This is a passage of Scripture about a group of people who jumped to conclusions and it almost cost a bunch of lives. Jumping to conclusions can be defined in this way. It it means to make a negative interpretation about something or someone even though there are no definite facts that convincingly support that conclusion. Can I tell you something, a conclusion that I've drawn about, about people at large? And, and this is something that I've really thought about. So I don't think I'm jumping to conclusions on this one. People are lazy these days. I, I really mean that. People are lazy. Even people that work hard are lazy because we got to where we don't like to think anymore. We like to make assumptions, draw conclusions before ever really having the time to think about the conclusions we're drawing. I want you to imagine a couple. Let's, uh, it's a, it's a, a man and woman. Let's say that the man's name is David and the woman's name is Rebecca. They're driving home from a dinner party. And David, who is driving, is quiet. He's not saying anything. And so Rebecca starts thinking to herself, David is quiet. David is not normally quiet. Why is my David quiet? There must be something wrong. Why is David quiet? David must be quiet because he doesn't enjoy my company anymore. David evidently is quiet because he doesn't enjoy my company anymore and he's going to break up with me when we get to the end of this drive. David doesn't love me anymore. Nobody loves me anymore. I'm an unlovable person. Well, what has happened here? Well, Rebecca, she's taken just the raw data. What is the raw data? David is quiet. (laughs) David is driving down the road and David is quiet. Granted, it's unusual. David evidently under normal circumstances, is quite a a talkative individual, but 
She takes the raw data that David isn't talking, and then she takes that raw data and she starts going in a ton of different directions. All of them, by the way, are negative directions. Untested hypotheses, not based on any facts, jumping to conclusions. The very fact that he is quiet, based on that, she's determined that he's going to break up with her, that he doesn't love her anymore, that therefore she's not Uh, she's not lovable and she's just an unlovable person and nobody loves her. There may be a thousand different reasons why David was quiet that had nothing to do with Rebecca at all. He may have been quietly thinking about a conversation that he was part of back in the dinner party. He may have been thinking about a work project that he had to start on the very next morning. Maybe he's thinking about some other problem in a friend's life, but none of those had to do with Rebecca. We really don't know why he's quiet, and Rebecca doesn't know why he's quiet, and so what she should have done was, hey, David, what are you so quiet about? Is something wrong? And then you have to go through all that that rigmarole. You know how it is. Why are you so quiet? Oh, it's nothing. Is something wrong? There's nothing wrong. Why are you quiet? Nothing. You know how it goes. But at least you start the conversation. You don't immediately jump to a negative conclusion just based upon the raw data of somebody being quiet. By the time we get to Joshua 22, the 12 tribes of the children of Israel have crossed over Jordan and they have conquered the land of Canaan. Actually, they do that by the end of chapter 12. Beginning with chapter 13 and going through chapter 21... They start distributing the land. Joshua says, all right, this this piece of property will go to the tribe of Judah, and this piece of property will go to the tribe of Issachar, and this one to the tribe of Asher, and so forth and so on. Twelve tribes. But before they ever crossed the Jordan, Moses, when he was alive, promised two of the tribes and half of another tribe that they could settle not on the western side of Jordan, but on the eastern side of Jordan. The tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses says, you can, you can settle on the eastern side of the Jordan, but you have to go on across the Jordan and help the other nine and a half tribes conquer their land, and once the, the conquest is complete, then... You two and a half tribes can go back across the Jordan to the eastern side of the Jordan and settle in your land. So by the time we get to chapter 22, they've conquered the land and Joshua has begun the process of of allotting the land, distributing the land to the various tribes. And then he turns to the tribes of Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh and he says this. He says, guys... Moses told you all to go across the Jordan with us, help us conquer the land, and then you could go back and settle your land. You've done everything we've asked you to do. You've done everything Moses asked for you to do. You've obeyed every command I gave you. And so now that the conquest is complete, you two and a half tribes can go back across the Jordan and settle into your land. And so Obeying Joshua, they headed back toward the Jordan, to cross the Jordan into the eastern area of the Jordan River. But before they get to the Jordan River, they decide to erect an altar. Really wasn't so much an altar, although it was a replica of God's altar, but it was a monument. And it was a large monument that, that 
was meant to convey a message, and that message was, this monument reminds all of us, the ones on the eastern side of the Jordan River and the ones on the western side of the Jordan River, that we are all one, that we all worship the one God of Israel who created heaven and earth. And so if centuries down the road, anybody wants to say, anybody from the western side of the Jordan wants to say to the tribes on the eastern side, you don't belong here. We can point to this monument and say, but yeah, do you not remember why this monument was put here? And so they erected this monument, and then they crossed on over Jordan. Well, the nine and a half tribes that remained on the western side of the Jordan, when they saw this huge monument, they assumed that the two and a half tribes on the other side of the Jordan had built this monument to, so that they would have a separate, better than you place to worship the same God. And it made them angry, so angry that they declared war. Imagine that, a civil war. Nine and a half tribes on the western side of the Jordan declared war upon the two and a half tribes on the eastern side of the Jordan. This also meant, by the way, that the half Half of the tribe of Manasseh that was on the western side also declared war against the other half of their same family, the other half of the tribe of Manasseh, on the eastern side of the Jordan. This was a major, major assumption. But they had jumped to the wrong conclusion. Fortunately, before they shot a single weapon, the nine and a half tribes on the western side of the Jordan sent Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and a team of ten leaders from the various tribes over to the eastern side to try to talk about what this altar really meant. And they found out that they had jumped to conclusions about the meaning of that altar. I'm just thankful as I read this passage that they, they stopped long enough before they went to war to actually send Phinehas over to find out what it was about. Because in doing that, they went further than many of us do even today. It is, it is an epidemic that we tend to jump to conclusions about people and about groups and about issues. So what's the problem with jumping to conclusions? Well, first of all, the, the problem is that we normally jump to the wrong conclusion. And it will always be negative. Think about that. You see someone... And so you draw a conclusion about that someone, not all the time, but certainly a majority of time, we, we adopt some conclusion that is negative with regard to that person or that group or that issue. Rarely do we jump to a positive conclusion. And the bulk of the time, it's the wrong conclusion. Second, following through with a wrong conclusion can result in harm to someone else. Imagine if the nine and a half tribes on the western side of the Jordan had followed through on their war declaration against the two and a half tribes on the eastern side of the Jordan. I'll tell you what would have happened. More than likely, the nine and a half tribes, because they were a huge majority, would have wiped out the two and a half tribes on the eastern side of the Jordan which meant there would be no more Gad, there would be no more Reuben, half of Manasseh would be gone. And in the process of wiping out those two and a half tribes, the nine and a half tribes certainly would have lost potentially tens of thousands of their own soldiers. We're talking about human life here. Now, certainly, I certainly hope, 
that when you and I jump to conclusions about someone or something, I'm hoping that it's not going to result in a loss of life. But I'll tell you what it will result in. If, if we follow through, if we, if we see someone and we jump to a negative conclusion about that someone, invariably we're going to end up saying things against that person or doing things against that person. And when we do, we're going to hurt that person. And if what we say or do turns out to be wrong, we're going to end up hurting our own reputation in the eyes of those who watch us, who observe us, who witness what we do, and who follow what we do, who are influenced by what we do. Following through on a wrong conclusion can result in harm to someone else and to yourself. But more than that, the problem with jumping to conclusions is that jumping to conclusions necessarily involves leaving God out of the equation. Think about that. Do, did we see where the nine and a half tribes on the western side of the Jordan, did, did we see anything about them? Well, let's, let's pray before we declare war. Let's, let's ask the Lord what he thinks. But you see, when we jump to conclusions, usually the very fact that we jump to a premature conclusion means that we have left God out of the conversation. It's amazing to me how many times you and I jump to conclusions, and really by, by jumping to a premature conclusion, we're basically saying, God, I don't really care what you think about it. I only care what I think about it. But do you realize how ridiculous that is? Do you realize how ridiculous it is not to inquire of the Lord before we make a decision or draw a conclusion about someone? So there are problems with jumping to conclusions. Well, what should we do? Let me give you some tips. You could give me these same ones. So let's just make each other aware of them together. What can we do? First of all, we need to recognize our own tendency to jump to faulty conclusions. Everybody does it. I don't know of a single person in my own life. I know a lot of people. I don't know anybody who has never, who has never jumped to a conclusion about someone or something. Recognize your own tendency to jump to conclusions. Do not trust yourself 100% on the conclusions you draw. Now by that I'm not saying beat up on yourself. That's not what I mean. Some people say, oh, I don't trust anything. That's not what I mean. But I do mean be skeptical at least about your first impression about things. Second, hit pause before you hit the other person. Hit pause. Hit the pause button. Don't act. Don't declare war. Or if you declare war, don't, don't follow through on war. Don't shoot the first arrow. Don't shoot the first bullet. Don't throw out the first word. Stop. Think. Pause. Hit pause before you hit the other person. Somebody, somebody, we don't know who it was, had, had the brilliant forethought among the nine and a half tribes to say, hey, 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 whoa, 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 we're declaring war against our brothers here, man. Let's at least send somebody over there to talk to them before we declare war. Come on, hit pause before you hit the other person. Number three, consider other possibilities. Consider other possibilities. I have a very good friend who lives up and coming. His name's Dan. 
when Amanda and I, there was, a, there was a period of a few months that we were members at First Baptist coming before we came down here to Palmetto, and uh, we joined First Baptist coming, we joined the Sunday school class, and we'd been in there a little bit, they knew who we were, we didn't know who all, they were, all of them were, but they knew who we were, and after a few weeks, they came to me and they asked me, they said, would you be interested in teaching a short-term class to our Sunday school class, maybe about eight weeks, on the book of Revelation? I said, well, I'll be glad to. But Dan, who was also in that class, he and his wife Bonnie, Dan wasn't sure about me. Now, I'd never met Dan. Dan had never met me. I had seen him, and he had seen me. He knew that I was raised in the North Georgia mountains. He knew that I was a native of coming, and somebody had mentioned to me that Dan was born and raised in New York. Now, Dan had assumed some things about me because I was born and raised in North Georgia, in the hills of North Georgia, and I I spoke much more slowly than he did. I made some assumptions about my friend Dan because he was from New York. I decided, because all people from New York are rude and blunt and brutally honest and hateful that Dan was rude and brutally honest and hateful. I jumped to conclusions about Dan. Dan jumped to conclusions about me. We didn't know each other, but we already decided we didn't like each other. This is a true story. So Dan hears that they've asked me to teach an eight-week class to his Sunday school class, and Dan is not happy. And so Dan calls me. He wasted no time to call me. He is from New York, you know. He calls me, and he says, I hear you're going to teach our Sunday school class. And I said, yeah. I said, who is this? He says, Dan Yackel. I said, Dan Yackel. He says, yeah, I want to talk with you about it. I'm not really sure about you teaching our class. I said, okay. Are you the guy from New York? No, that's not what I said, but I thought about it. So anyway, we meet at a place called Doris and Paulette's. It's a little country food restaurant, mom and pop place. It's not there now, but it used to. Everybody, all the locals in that area would, would eat there. And he said, let's eat, let's eat there. So I met him there at 12 noon on a, on a weekday, and, and we, we were eating in a booth. And he begins to ask me about my background, about me and Amanda and our marriage and our kids and, and uh, what the last church was I pastored and why I left that church. And, and he began to talk and talk and talk. And finally, I said, now let me ask you some things about you. I know you're from New York. And he began to tell me about uh, his upbringing, about his parents and his wife, Bonnie. And they have two, two children, Ryan and Stephanie, who are, who are gorgeous uh, young people. And we sat there for about an hour and a half eating lunch and talking. And by the time we got through, I realized that I had jumped to the wrong conclusion about Dan Yackel. Yes, he was from New York, but he's probably the most honest person I've ever met. And not, he doesn't try to be brutally honest. He's just honest. And he's a loyal friend. In fact, he's one of the best friends I have to this day. And we met at Doris and Paulette's Country Diner, not liking each other at all, even though we'd never met. I made the mistake of jumping to conclusions about Dan. Dan made the mistake of jumping to conclusions about me. And what I should have done, what I should have done was stopped and considered other possibilities. Just because you're from New York doesn't mean you're rude. And doesn't, just because you're from the South doesn't mean that you're dumb. 
just because you talk slow doesn't mean that you can't talk faster. And just because you talk fast doesn't mean you can't slow down. (laughs) After I met with him, I realized there were many other possibilities. Number four, schedule a sit-down. Talk and ask questions for the purpose of understanding that other person or that other group or that issue. Don't assume that you know what a person thinks. And, and by all means, don't just rely upon what somebody else has told you. We live in a world where people seem to enjoy lying. You want to know what somebody thinks? Go ask them. You want to know what somebody believes? Go talk to them. But when you go talk to them, Be careful. You see, there are two different ways to ask questions. You can ask questions in an interrogating way. Some people, they're asking questions to catch you doing something wrong or to draw out something something bad because they know it's there. They just got to pull it out with the right kind of deceptive question. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about asking questions in a calm demeanor that is that is uh, whose purpose is to help you understand that other that other person. Number five, put yourself in that other person's shoes. Why are they the way they are? You remember the golden rule? You remember that? Do unto others as you would have others do to you. Jesus said that. Now think about that. Do to others what you'd have others do to you. Do you realize how much different our world would be if everybody followed that one simple rule? But we've changed that rule. Here's what we prefer. Do unto others before they do it to you. Lay aside the fact that's not in the Bible. We wish it were. Don't we? Don't we wish that was in the Bible? Y'all are not going to nod for that, but I know you do. I'll tell you another one that's not in the Bible, but I wish it were, and it ought to be. And maybe it is in principle. Do unto others what you would have them do to your kids. Hello? You know, I don't like people mistreating me if I think they're mistreating me. But if my only option is they're going to mistreat me or they're going to mistreat my kids, I'll take being mistreated myself every day, 24-7. Don't mess with my kids. You feel the same way? I'm telling you, man. You mess with my kids, I'm going to jump to conclusions and we're going to go to war. We're just going to go to war. I am not going to let anybody mess with my kids. I see some people dealing with other adults, and I'm thinking, man, I, I wonder how they would feel if, if, if somebody treated their kids the same way they're treating these people. Put yourself in the other person's shoes. And number six, give the other person the benefit of a doubt. Why? Because that's what you would want someone else to do to you. Give you the benefit of a doubt. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus and his disciples were were talking about some tragedies that had happened, some some murders, some terrorism, and the disciples came up with a question that shows they were jumping to conclusions. They said, Lord, uh, these people who got killed, 
Did, uh, who was it who sinned that caused them to get killed? Did they sin that caused them to get killed or was it their parents? They jumped to a conclusion it wasn't true. And so chapter 13 of Luke, verse 1, about this time Jesus was informed that Pilate had, had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. And Jesus said, do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? You think that's why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too, he said, unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And what about the 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No. And I tell you again that unless you repent, you too will perish. Proverbs 25.8 in the message paraphrase says this, Don't jump to conclusions. There may be a perfectly good explanation for what you just saw. I love that. James 1.19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I think you get the point. You and I are so prone to jumping to conclusions about people, especially people we meet for the first time, especially certain groups that are not like us, or certain issues about which we may have strong opinions. But if nothing else, this passage of Scripture and some other isolated passages that I've shared with you here, there could be more, simply says this, there is a problem with jumping to conclusions. Give people the benefit of a doubt. Sit down with them, ask questions for the purpose of understanding that person, not for the purpose of catching them in a fault. Treat that person like you would want that person to treat your own kids. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, boy, do we need to learn better how to deal with others. How different it would have been if those nine and a half tribes had followed through on their declaration of war. So many tens of thousands would have been killed. Whole tribes would have been wiped off the face of the earth. But they did hit pause. They did have a sit down. They did talk. They did ask questions for the purpose of understanding. And a major crisis was averted. Lord, I pray that what you said about Christians would still prove true today. That they will know you because of your love for one another. And may our love prohibit us from jumping to conclusions that may prove wrong. In Jesus' name. Amen.